Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3 and John chapter 8. 1 John chapter 3 and John chapter 8. Maybe some unusual passages for Christmas Sunday, but uh, I'm excited that I get to preach this. I appreciate all the people who have put time into helping with this service, all the musicians and all the laborers. uh, Have you all enjoyed the Christmas decorations that we have? Didn't Laura do a good job putting all of that together? Let's give Laura a hand. She doesn't like that, but I think it was beautiful. Appreciate Dr. Ree providing the poinsettias down here and that he doesn't like it when I say that either, but let's give Dr. Ree a hand for all that he's done for us. Amen. But more than anything else, we're not here to glorify what people do. We're here to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll start. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach it. I am so humbled by this opportunity. And of course, the subject matter that I get to deal with today, Lord, it's just, it's profound. So Lord, I pray that just for these next few minutes that uh, we can focus on why you came. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we know that there are four Gospels and that they all have a different flavor, that Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. And so the genealogy of Christ, the lineage of Christ, goes back to Abraham. And then in Mark, Jesus Christ is presented as the suffering servant, and who cares about the lineage of a servant? So there's no genealogy there. And then in Luke, it presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man, And so his lineage goes back to Adam, the first man. And then in the Gospel of John, sometimes people miss the lineage of Christ there because the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so the lineage was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the lineage of Christ is there. He is the the self-existent one. He didn't begin at Bethlehem. He didn't end at Calvary. Amen? And so those are the accounts, and we, we read those accounts, and, and when we open our presents at Christmas time, we're going to read the story of Jesus, and, and I love doing that with my family. This morning, I want us to go to 1 John chapter 3 to get a little bit different understanding of why Jesus Christ came. One of the things that I've noticed in this year more than ever, and maybe you all have noticed this too, I love hearing jingle bells right there while I'm preaching. That's awesome. That's the soundtrack behind it for the Christmas message. Perfect. I don't know if you all have noticed this. There's no mention of Christ in advertising. It's all about, you know, Lexus. You know, you got to get the new car. And that's what Laura told me she wants. I'm sorry, she's going to be disappointed unless it was like a 1983 or something. I don't know when Lexus started. But it's... Everything. Let's make it a year to remember. And even even the advertising, the traditional Christmas songs are no longer in the advertising. I mean, there are songs that have absolutely nothing to do with Christmas that are identified now. Why? Because it's too religious. And that idea of Christ and the religion that identifies with Jesus Christ, and that religion is Christianity, that's an offense, that's an affront to too many people that these people are trying to advertise to. And we generally, we, we, we definitely do live in a post-Christian America now. But that's okay. Here this morning, we're going to talk about why did Jesus Christ come. So look with me at 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 8. 
Isn't this just a great Christmas thought right here? He that committeth sin is of the devil. Now, how many of you have that on a Christmas ornament? Any of you have that hanging on the... I know some of your kids, they need that Christmas ornament. Yeah, I've seen them. Look at what it says. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I don't know if you know the world's a mess. Why did Jesus Christ come? To destroy the works of the devil. Let's look at what those works are. So hold your place here. Keep a, Put your marker here in 1 John. We're going to come back there. But go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? You know, we do our Baptist history tour every year, and, and, and I've, those of you who have been on the Baptist history tour, you guys, we start on a Monday, we go through a Friday, we're on this, this awesome tour bus, and we go from stop to stop. And the bus will vacillate between a locker room, you know, talking about your mom, or a theological discussion. And we were in one of these theological discussions, and this preacher that I was talking to started asking me questions before I was done making my statement, and my statement would have answered his question. And he said, I don't understand. And here, listen to what I said to him. If you listen to my words, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you listen to my words, you'll understand what I'm saying. He got such a kick out of that. He's, he's reminded me of that for 10 years. He just thought that was so funny. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. If you had listened to my words, you'd know who I am. If you would listen to me, you would know who I am. But notice again what it says. Verse 43, why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? How many times have you parents looked at your kids? Are you listening to me? Are you, and why do you say that? Because they don't appear to be listening to you, right? Now, parents, I want to remind you of something. It's not too late to take the presents back. And all the parents said, amen. I can't remember if it was Lydia or Jacob. One of them never made it through a birthday without a spanking. <laughs> right? Isn't it funny? When, when, when we spoil our kids, they behave as spoiled kids. Y'all notice that? Amen. Now, why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Now, notice what the Bible says. In verse 44, year of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye will not believe me. And isn't that the world that we live in? There are people that just do not want to receive the truth. So what I want us to talk about today, back in 1 John chapter 3, Jesus said he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil that John spoke about? Well, the first one is here. If you look in verse 44, in the middle of it, he is a murderer. He is a murderer. And I want you to think about it. The Bible says, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death 
by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The reason that we are sinners and the reason that we die physically is because Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and they submitted to that temptation. He is a murderer. Every person who has ever died physically, that blood is on Satan's heads. He is a murderer and a father of it. But you know that this text isn't really dealing with physical death. It's dealing with spiritual death. It's dealing with the fact that if we do not place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life, then we are cut off from God. And so what Satan has done is his desire as the murderer is to keep us cut off from the only access that we have to eternal life. I want you to think about something. When Jesus Christ was born, when he came into this world, even at 12 years old, when they had gone to the temple and, and they couldn't find him, they, they had left. How many of you have ever forgotten your kids somewhere? Yes. How many of you did it on purpose? <laughs> so, Jesus Christ, he had left. And th- that was the old Rodney Dangerfield line. My parents moved a lot, but I kept finding them. Right? So his parents had taken off. They had a whole crew of them. They had taken off from the temple. Where's Jesus? Where is he? They couldn't find him. They went back to the temple. And Mary's mad at him. She said, your, your father and I were looking for you. And what did Jesus do? He corrected her and said, know you not that I must be about my father's business? Because Joseph wasn't his father. Jesus Christ at 12 years old had, had a very dis, a, a different way of thinking. Why? Because he didn't have any sin in him. And for us to remember, this is so important. How many of you have ever been in a situation that was uncomfortable because you were a Christian and no one around you was a Christian and the situation was very awkward? Right? Like a pork chop at a kosher wedding. Right? You, you just feel like you're a milk bucket under a bowl. You're saying, well, this is not right. This does not fit right here. And that's the way that we as Christians sometimes feel in the world. But imagine Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus Christ felt walking this earth. He was completely sinless. God can't even look at sin. Jesus Christ had to live in that state for 33 and a half years. Everything around him was an affront. But he came because men needed to be saved. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And the first work of the devil that is mentioned in the Gospel of John is the fact that he is a murderer, that Satan is a murderer. Ultimately, alienation from God is the devil's work. What what Satan wants to do is he wants to alienate us from God. And I'll tell you, the longer I live, and I am starting to get a little bit older. There's a little gray in the beard, Right? You know, not as much as our Charles Darwin impersonator, Ty Blackford, but it's, it's getting there. My friends this time of year, you know, the, the group of preacher friends on the text, they'll send out that little Burl Lives, uh, that little Burl Lives snowman, and they say that that looks like me. I think that that's very hurtful and unkind. It needs to be more like a Robert Redford snowman. What this world, what this world wants to do, what Satan, as the God of this world, wants us to do, is to be so comfortable with the world that we're uncomfortable with God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how comfortable are we in the world, and how comfortable are we with God? It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, as he grew older in the faith, he was at Athens And he saw this city and he said that his spirit was stirred up in him when he saw a city wholly given over to idolatry. 
And that's kind of the world that we live in, isn't it? And what Satan wants to do is he wants to blind us from the truth that is in Christ. He wants to alienate us from the truth. So not only is he responsible for death, for physical death and spiritual death because he's a murderer, but secondly, the work of the liar is is the extinguishing of the light. The work of the liar is the extinguishing of the light. The work of the murderer is the destruction of life. The work of the liar is the extinguishing of light. So look at John chapter 8, verse 44 again. You of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. So the work of the liar is the extinguishing of light. That's what a liar does. There is no truth in him. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. In whom, talking about the people of the world, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what? We should love the truth. We should love the truth. We should hate lies. When we identify with Jesus Christ, all of these things change. We, beca- we really do care about the truth. And lies that violate the very truth of God. That's the lie of Satan. You know that there are preachers all over the world saying, God's not mad at you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. You know when God's not mad at you? When, when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then he's pleased with you. How do you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ? You confess your sin and you ask Jesus Christ to save you and he gives you. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. It's a gift. It's a gift. Now, at Christmas time, we understand this. How many of you have ever gotten a gift from someone and you know the reason they gave you that gift is because you gave them one? You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't you rather them just not give you the gift? When it's an obligation, when you feel like it's an obligation, like Jacob at Christmas this year. I really don't want to get him anything. But I have to. I'm his dad. That's not true. I actually enjoy buying him things. I know so many of you are thinking, poor Jacob. Man, you have no idea what he puts me through. I'm just telling you. Messes with me nonstop. And he says, Dad, it's good for you that I'm home. If you're giving a gift out of obligation, it's not a gift, it's a payment. Y'all with me on that? And, you know, we feel that way. When, so early on in our ministry here, church was small, weren't getting paid very much, and we'd go to my, my parents' house for Christmas. There's five of us kids, and there's 18 grandkids or something, and they wanted everybody to buy a present for everybody. I mean, there's like 500 presents right there. And the kids were there, they're passing around these gifts and all they could do is rip the paper off and throw it. They wouldn't even look at it. There was too much stuff. And I just felt like I was obligated to buy all these presents and I would rather, you know, you draw a name and you buy a gift for one person. Are you all with me on this? Now, some of you like to buy presents for everybody and as long as I'm on the list, I'm for it, okay? But, but when it just felt like an obligation, I had to buy things and I didn't like that. If it's an obligation, it's not a gift. A gift is given out of a heart of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Was God obligated to give his son? No. You see, a gift is not obligation. 
And when, when we have this idea that God is obligated to save us, we don't understand what the Bible says. That's a lie. It is not the truth. It's grace and mercy. That's how God saves us. And all ignorance, all despair, all wandering over the trackless deserts of life are due to extinction of spiritual light in the mind of man. What did Jesus say? And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's where life, that's where light comes from. So, the work of the murderer is the destruction of life. The work of the liar is the extinguishing of light. And the work of the betrayer is the violation of love. The work of the betrayer is the violation of love. Look at John chapter 18. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, do you see that, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, we always point out there that Jesus was in control. He was in control. The next verse, let these go. So let my disciples go. He had a whole army against him. Just one guy. They don't have any weapons. They had one, and Peter takes it and messes up, right? And Jesus says, let them go. What did they do? They let him go. Why? Because they didn't want to get knocked down again. Jesus was in control. But what I want you to see here is this betrayal of Judas. Why did Judas betray him? Satan entered into him. Satan entered into him. Satan is a betrayer, and the work of the betrayer is the violation of love. Again, the violation of love as a work of the devil is seen supremely in the way he entered into the heart of Judas and made him a betrayer. Next, the work of the arch sinner is the breaking of the law. The work of the arch sinner, and of course that's Satan. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 3. Go back there. You should have a marker there. 1 John chapter 3. Look at what it says in verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Back to verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning, so he is transgressing the law from the beginning, God's rules. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, it's so important that we see that this, this sin, this violation of the law, this sin is lawlessness. So it doesn't mean it's the condition of being without law. It means it's the condition of being against the law. So there are laws that we don't like. I generally call those speed limits. Right? And so if I'm driving and I'm going over the speed limit, I am living against that law. I enjoy the places out west where there is no speed limit, and I can drive as fast as I want to. Right? 
that where there's no law, you can't violate that law. But where there, where there is a law, whether I like that law or not, I either, listen, I'm either obeying that law or I'm going against that law. That's the principle here. Satan is against every law of God. And we have a world that's completely against God's law. You know, I just saw an ad that now uh, United Airlines is going to let you pick your, your gender. Well, how in the world are the security people who are watching these people coming through supposed to know which gender that person has chosen? How are they supposed to know that? And it's so silly. And what is that about? There's not enough transgender people in the world to change laws for. There's not enough. It's, it is people who absolutely hate God's law. They hate it. That's what it's about. It's interesting. Half the population of the United States, or I'm sorry, way more than that, 80 or 90% of the population of the United States identifies as Christian. But these places aren't worried to offend Christians, but they're really worried to offend, to offend the 500 transgender people there are in the world, whatever the number is. How many of you think that the number of transgenders is less than the number of Christians? Think it's less? Why are they willing to offend us and not them? It's not about offending us and not offending them. It's they hate God and they hate God's law. Now, they might not be able to express that. Why? Because they're under the control of their father, the devil. The Bible says there are two spiritual families in the world. There's Satan's family and there's God's family. And you're in either one of those. You're born into Satan's family. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, to those Pharisees. If you're born again, now you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into God's family. Not water baptism, but baptism of the Holy Spirit into God's family. So you're either in Satan's family or you're in God's family. That's it. The work of the arch sinner, Satan, is the breaking of the law. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So how does Jesus Christ destroy the works of the devil? Let's just look at a couple of things. First of all, the gift of life was to destroy death. The gift of life was to destroy death. Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. He came into darkness, spiritual darkness, and He gave light. Who is the light? The light of the world is Jesus He is the light of the world. So he destroys death by giving life and giving light. This writer is G. Campbell Morgan. He said, I believe that there was laughter in the apostle's tone when he said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Isn't that good? We don't have to fear death anymore. None of you are born again. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. We don't need to fear death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? When we do a Christian funeral, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. Why? Because Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He destroys the lies. This is ultimately associated with the gift of light and of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is actually truth. And when you come to him, you know what the truth is. And when you know what the truth is, now you're able to discern what the lies of the world are. You know, there are a lot of people that have bought the lie of the world. They think that if they have enough stuff, they'll be happy. 
And you'll find this, man, watch your kids, Christmas night, after all the presents are open, moping around. Why? Because the excitement, what they get, sorry guys, hate to disappoint you. What they get rarely lives up to the hype. And that's life, man. That is where we are. The lie of Satan is if I just had more stuff, I'd be happy. Now, there are people who don't have anything, and a little more stuff would make them happier. You know, if you don't have any food, you're not happy. And that's why the Bible says if you have food and raiment, they're with to be content. Right? We have food. We have clothing. I don't, I don't, looking out here, I'm not seeing anyone starving to death. Praise God. People buy the lie of Satan and that God's rules don't apply. And life can be better if we just get rid of God. He destroys the lies. Then, by bringing light into human life and into the world, he has destroyed betrayal. Betrayal and hatred. He destroys all of it. Hatred, avarice, jealousy, selfishness are destroyed by shedding abroad love, which is the warmth of life, as light is its illumination. And then lawlessness. How did he destroy lawlessness? By fulfilling the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. So what did Jesus Christ come to do? The Bible says that he was manifest. That means he was shown. He was made plain to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? He's a murderer. He's a liar. That murderer, he wants to to keep people cut off from God so they can't have eternal life. Well, Jesus Christ came and gave light. It's so wonderful. He's, He's a liar. Jesus Christ came to give the truth. He's a betrayer. Jesus Christ came to show us he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus Christ said. He is the one who will never let us go. He will never betray us. We can always trust him. And how does that affect the Christian? Well, he's given us life. We don't have to go to hell. We can have eternal life. He's given us light so that we can have understanding in this world. And he's given us the truth so that we know how to be loyal to the people around us and love God's people and be faithful. And ultimately, you know what he's going to do? He's going to destroy this whole world and make a new one that's fit for righteousness. That's the Savior. That's the baby that was born. He's not a weak baby. He's no longer on the cross. He was buried and he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for his saints. And one day he's going to get up off of that throne, and he's going to come back. And we're going to be taken out of this. And what will he ultimately do? Destroy the works of the devil. Amen? He's destroyed the works of the devil in our lives. And ultimately, he's going to destroy the works of the devil in the whole world. Praise the Lord. How about that for a Christmas message? That's why Jesus Christ came. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Lord, thank you for coming. We don't deserve your eternal life. We don't deserve to be able to stand in righteousness before a holy God. Lord, thank you for your salvation.